0: Father, I thank you The faithful, that's a great word, it's a great word, thank you that you do what you promise, that you can be counted on, but God, at times we question you because we don't see, we can't see your faithfulness at times, because we don't know what you're up to, but Father, we pause for a second to thank you for it, we thank you that the ultimate expression of your faithfulness and your love is not what you do every day, It's what you did on the cross that we just celebrated, that we just remembered. So may your love expressed to us on the cross uh, embolden our faith in you for all the smaller things in life. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Be seated. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up. Now's the time to go to the Word, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Some of you last week thought I was going to skip this verse. Um, let me tell you something. I threw out a thing on Facebook this morning saying I am excited about this passage and uh, excited about this morning. We've got some chairs up here for a little surprise later on. Um, some people thought that because I'm going to be teaching on the passage, it talks about women submitting in marriage, that maybe this was just an extra barrier so I could speak from up here <laughs> so that those who want to come after me can jump over the chairs to get to me. I even thought about preaching from behind here, uh, because this is bulletproof glass. Every drummer needs it, right? Okay, but that's not the case. The chairs are for something else, and I'm trusting that you are a safe audience. Amen? Yeah, I'm glad I'm not in Texas, by the way. I saw a survey recently that said that in Texas, one out of seven people pack a gun. One out of seven people are packing on any given Sunday morning. Now what that means is I get ready to teach on something like submission, I'm watching for angry women who may be packing this morning. OK? And that would mean there are dozens of guns in the audience, and I could get shot at any time. So all I'm asking is, wait till the service is over, and then you'll think differently, OK? No, seriously, welcome to Seacoast. We are going to talk about one of the most controversial concepts in the Bible, one of the toughest things to understand in light of our culture, and I believe one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Scriptures. So let's pray, and we'll study it together. Father God, thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us. We pray this morning that as we look at your wisdom for how to better love one another as men and women, I pray that you'd help us to see why you said, what you said, and to really understand it. So we ask you to do that today in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're talking about God's wisdom. It's a two-part set from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Because in these few verses, in 22 to 33 of Ephesians 5, are intertwined directions for men better loving women, especially husbands to wives. But as you learned last week, I think these principles of the love language that i like to call it the love languages of men and women apply beyond just marriage to relationships friendships dating and even understanding how to better show love to to a son or a daughter for that matter because we're going to be talking about the love languages of men and women we started last week and we talked about how men can have the wisdom of god for loving her And here's what it said. Guys, love her with a sacrificial love. Love her with a sacrificial love, modeled by Jesus. We are to be like Jesus in the sense of loving that wife, loving the women in our lives in a a way that sacrifices. We give up ourselves to love and care and protect them. Women, what is the love language of a man? If you already understand this, uh, then again, as I said, we've brought four chairs up here. If you really feel that you really get men, then I'm, I'm asking for four women to join me right now in these four chairs. There's one. Anyone else? Anyone else? You really get men. You get men. Anyone else? Anybody on this side get men? Okay. Okay, I don't want you up here anyway. But anyway, I just called your bluff. But I'm proud. I've got a couple women out here that really stepped up. So next time I do this, uh, make sure you give me your name after the service so I can remember it, all right? But the the fact of the matter is we are going to take a look today at this second half of the equation. What is the love language of a man? What makes a man feel loved? Now before we go into that, I want to remind you of three principles I taught you last week, and if you weren't here, go online, listen to the message. It will really help complete this package. But here they are because I don't want you to forget them today. Number one. Don't leave the context behind when you study today's passage. Today's passage, Ephesians 5, flows out of a context. It's not a standalone verse. And that context begins in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, where it says, To men and women, love one another like Christ has loved you. Love with a sacrificial love, that's true for men, it's true for women, it's true for kids, it's true for parents, it's true for bosses, it's true for employees. So it covers all of the relationships of life, and that's what this series is about, called Relate, in the family, in the home, in the workplace. It begins with that command to walk in love. But then it also says, walk in the light of God's truth. Then it says, walk in wisdom of God's truth. And especially walking in wisdom, chapter 5, verse 18 on the screen, tells us to walk with the power of God's Spirit. Because what I want to teach you today, just like last week when I challenged men to better understand women and speak their love language, today as well, I want to challenge the gals, especially in the room, to realize we need to do this by the power of God's Spirit. This is a spiritual life issue as much as it is a marriage family or relationship issue that's chapter 5 verse 18 and then finally chapter 5 verse 18 said if you walk by the power of God's spirit look at verse 21 with me one more time it says this and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ out of your respect for Christ as a follower of Christ be subject to one another in the fear of Christ you're gonna see the importance of that in just a minute Reminder number two, don't forget the context, but also don't forget that God's truth challenges every culture. I just need to get you attuned to the fact that it's very common to encounter truth in the Bible, commands in the Bible, especially when it has to do with tender issues such as sexuality and relationships and marriage and family and parenting. A lot of these issues will, con- will be counterculture. Now, why is it counterculture? Well, it's because there's no culture on planet Earth, whether it's America or Africa or anything in between, that gets it. Because we are all sinful, we all have sinful tendencies, and it messes up not just our choices, but our thinking. And, 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 and it's just don't be surprised when sometimes your faith is going to challenge the culture. Number three, why is that? It's because here's our goal. Number three, our goal, bring it up, There we go. Our goal is to follow Christ, creating a new culture, following a new king, and expanding his kingdom. I taught you this last week. And if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, the goal is to create a healthier culture, a different culture that reflects our obedience to a new king named Jesus, expanding his kingdom on planet earth for the good of humanity and for the glory of God. So keep those three things in mind as we encounter today's passage. Now as we dip into it, let's get started. First, a reminder of God's wisdom of what makes her feel loved. Not him, but her. And last week, we brought up a little diagram that we developed and taught you that looks something like this. And here's the deal. When he speaks her love language, she feels loved. But it begins with this chapter five verse twenty one being subject to one another in the fear of Christ so before you start studying the details of, of the of how men love women and women love men and, 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 and roles in marriage, understand that the central idea is to love like Jesus and to serve like Jesus toward one another so when you have this i want to serve one another in the middle of our relationship it sets in motion this circle that i call it the circle of love the cycle of love that feeds on itself and helps us love each other in intimacy like into intimate relationships like marriage what did we learn last week god gives us five words for men i don't make them up these are right out of scripture sacrifice for her Love her like Christ loved the church. He says, nourish her. Understand her needs and be intentional to meet them. Cherish her. Treat her like someone of great value, a treasure that you highly value. And then we looked at 1 Peter 3, verse 7, another common passage in the New Testament for husbands, and it added two more commands. Live with her in an understanding way. In other words, listen to her. I had to translate it for the guys. You say, well, how do I do that, Dale? I mean, I don't know. Just listen, okay? Listen. Number one complaint that women have about men, according to a secular survey, not the Bible, right from a secular survey, is she, he doesn't listen to me. Now, again, I didn't write it. I'm just delivering the survey, okay? He doesn't listen. So it's interesting that the Bible says thousands of years ago, men... See to it that you live with your wives in an understanding way. And then it adds, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So honoring, understanding, cherishing, nourishing, sacrificing for for women? See, do you understand how radically different that was from the Roman Greek culture in which the New Testament was written and the church was birthed? So a lot of times, people today, very mistakenly, look at the Bible and they go, wow, the Bible is this anti-female, anti-feminine, you know, it puts women down. And I show them this, and I say, do you know what the Greek and the Romans felt about women? They were property to be owned. And the Bible came along and just said, no, 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 no. They are to be sacrificed for, nourished, cherished, understood, honored. So in that context, this is the kind of man that God is calling us to, To step up and be. Very different from the culture then. I think this is very different from the culture today. Very different. But now we get to move to the other side of the formula, which most of us guys go, please, Dale, let's move on. Yeah. And that is this. How does she learn to speak his love language? How does she learn to speak his love language? So listen to the word of God, and then we'll unpack it. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 22. Again, context. Be subject to one another. Serve one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 21. Verse 22. And wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. I'll jump down, and then he goes, and husbands, before you get too excited about this, realize you love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, okay? And he works through the sacrifice, nourish, cherish. And then in verse 33, he says, nevertheless, and he gives what I consider the summary verse of this whole topic. Nevertheless, and he gives one final piece of advice. Let each individual among you also, husbands, love your wife, even as you love yourself. And wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. Very interesting that he changes from the word uh, submit or subject to, to respect. As the final summary big idea. So, how do we, what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, we need to talk about this submission thing. What does it really mean? What does it really mean? And uh, I thought, oh, man, how am I going to tackle this one? Okay. Someone even wrote me a note last week, and they said, Dale, you jumped over verse 22. Let me tell you something. I love talking about these topics. The secret little truth about me is I like teaching on tough topics. Um, In fact, I sent out a Facebook post Uh, Early this morning, I was just thinking about it. If you're a Facebook friend, you would have got it. You know, that said, man, I'm excited about today's sermon because I get to teach on Ephesians 5.22. Hashtag, I love tough topics. (laughs) So anyway, so if you love tough tough topics, join me. So what do we learn? Number one, what does it not mean? And I want to click through these, but it's very important because if you uh, read this verse, a lot of you, especially the women in the room right now, and even a lot of the guys are thinking, man, this is like, some out-of-date brainless out-of-date thinking that where has Dale been for the last you know 40 years right so let me let me tell you where I've been I've been learning what this does not mean from the Bible here it is number one it does not mean inferiority this is the big one people say well this is implying that women are inferior not true not true. how do I know it's not true well jesus in luke 22 42 i've given you the references jesus in luke 22:42 42 um, said father not my will but thy will be done right now the question is was jesus inferior to god the father well we know in john 10 18 jesus cleared that up and he said no 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 he says i and my father are one we are equal and christianity has affirmed Correctly for dec- for centuries and centuries, that that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are all God. There's no inferiority in the Godhead. They're all co-equal. They're all the three persons are the one God. They are you know. So that we know that Jesus wasn't inferior to his heavenly Father, even though he submitted. We also know from Scripture. That in both creation and Christ, it's directly stated that, they are, uh, that, they, that there's no inferiority thing going on in the nature of men and women. In Genesis chapter 1, I'll give you these verses. God said this Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. Okay, spiritual beings like us, different from all of creation. And God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So from the very beginning of creation, we are co-equals in creation. In Christ, Galatians 3.28, the Apostle Paul writes, In Christ, there is neither male nor female. So we find this affirmation of equality all through Scripture. So we know that submission has nothing to do with equality. We see this in life, by the way, all the time. There are people that are in different roles at different times, and they're not necessarily superior or inferior to you. They just are in a different role, and in that role, you follow and they lead. I mean, if you head out today, and uh, let's say you go to work, and you go to work, and someone comes in and says, "Hey, Dale, I'd like to do," I, I, you know, "I'd like for you to do blah blah blah," and this person, their nickname begins with a B. Okay, and it stands for boss. Boss. Okay, okay, good. For those of you who thought other things, forgive yourself. Okay, (laughs) sometimes bosses bring up all kinds of images. I know that, okay. But anyway, yeah, boss. You know, and now, does your boss, is he superior to you? I mean, are you an inferior creature? Not necessarily. You may be smarter than your boss. You may be more gifted than your boss. You know, but the fact of the matter is he's in a role that calls for him to lead and you to follow. And this is, this is the fact, you know, the same thing happens in, you go to take a class if you're in college, i see a university student down here, even at USC, when you go into a classroom, even at USC, and there is a professor, the professor gives instructions. Do you say, well, you know something, I don't think you should give me instructions because I don't, you know, I, I mean, this, you're making me feel inferior. Now you're not inferior to your professor, you're just in a different role. In fact, sometimes, years later, it reverses and the professor becomes the student and you know, takes a class from you someday. You know, so the fact of the matter is everything in, in creation and culture always has a leadership structure. It's part of what makes things orderly. Now, why did God set it up this way? I can't answer that. At least not in the time we have today. But I can tell you that God created a certain order And in this case, uh, but it has nothing to do with inferiority. Number two, it's not forced. It's not forced. Submission is never to be forced on women. Uh, John 6.38 says Jesus submitted and went to the cross of his own choice. 1 Peter 3.1 is another passage that says, Wives, uh, submit to your husbands and follow them and, and and uh, even sometimes if they're disobedient to the word or they're not perfect. And and and, and 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 in those passages, especially in Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, the verb that says wives, uh, submit or subject yourself to your husbands, that verb is in a verb tense in the Greek language, which is what's called the... Um, present imperative middle voice now why do i even share that it's because if you study this in the greek language you know that what that means is this is something this is an action that is taken by the woman of her own volition this is not something done to the woman this is something done by the woman this is her choice this is her choice Nowhere in the Bible does are husbands or men told to tell women to study this passage and live it out, at least in a commanding way. In other words, nowhere in Scripture are we told, men, see to it that your wives submit. No, no, no. God says, men, you see to it that you sacrifice for them, nourish them, cherish them, understand them and honor them. That's what you do. And he says, now, guys, step out of the room. Let me talk to the women. So this is God's wisdom for you as gals to understand uh, this complex relationship called marriage and how part of your role does involve encouraging and following his leadership. But it's not forced. It's not inferiority. It's not forced. Number three, it's not without fulfillment. First, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is written by God and is profitable for your life. Romans 12.2 says, Understand what the will of the Lord is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this command, along with every command in the Bible, is good for you. You may not understand on the surface, why would this be good? But God says, Trust me, this is part of my grand design for this relationship called marriage number four it's also not passivity now this there's an image that well if one gender in this case uh the woman in marriage if she in the context of marriage is is going to uh always encourage and follow the leadership of her husband then she's kind of like a second rate uh and she's just kind of going to sit back and you know something i guess it's all up to him You know, do I have a role to play in this family, in this marriage? You sure do. It's not passivity. Here's how I know that. Genesis 2.18 is a great verse. It's a verse in which God describes why he created women. Now, what do you think drove God to create women? It was this, wives. He says, Genesis 2.18, this is after all creation was done, And he had created Adam, but he had not created Eve yet. So you're in that little window. Got it? At this point in time, Adam is the perfect man. Okay. Just picture me without sin. Okay. That that was a joke. Can Can you see the humor in that? Okay. You should see the humor in that. But yeah, picture someone, picture the perfect guy without any sin. And God looks at Adam and he says this. It is not good for this man to be alone. It is not good for this man. This, this dude is in trouble going forward if he's all alone. So what am I going to do? I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. Now, in the Hebrew language, this is a fascinating verse. The word helper only appears about 16 times or so in, in, in the Hebrew Old Testament. And, and here's what you need to learn about it. It is a word that means a helper. But it's not a detrimental word. It's not a word that, that devalues the, I'm just the helper, right? You know how I know that? Because it's only, I think, I think out of the 16 times, I think 14 of the 16 times, the helper is who? It's God. God says, I will be your helper. I will be, when you're in trouble, I will be your helper. I will be the one who helps and rescues and comes to your aid. And and I'm going to be your helper in time of need and trouble. Now, is God inferior to you because he helps you? Yes or no? I don't think so. See, this is a positive term. This is like, and and then he adds this word, a helper suitable for him. And the word suitable for in Hebrew is a very, uh, a very, um, um, it's hard to translate because it's not used very often, but the word means opposite him or to complement him. So the implication is, guess what? I know exactly what this guy needs and I want to create a creature called a woman who really fills his gaps, and they complement each other. So it's a, it, it really emphasizes the fact that men and women are designed to be a team, to work together, and they're both highly valued and needed. And I see that in marriage all the time. So just kind of tuck that away. In fact, there's a fascinating story. I, I usually don't like to quote my own book, <laughs> but I did write a book on marriage in 1999 called Different by Design. It's still in publication today. So if you want the long version of this sermon, uh, go there. But in there, I, I tell a story about um, a coach in the 1950s. You know, I'm a sports fan, so I like football. So uh, since I'm talking to the ladies today, let me slip in one football illustration. You'll love it. Okay, so 1950s, the dominant powerhouse team in the, in the NFL. Who do you think it was? Anybody know? 1950s? New York giants and the bears too but especially Were you from chicago okay good good guess but wrong okay good (laughs) no but the bears were strong too but it was the new york giants they won several uh championships they didn't have super bowls back then but they won several championships the new york giants were a powerhouse and um and then i asked people who was their head coach during all their championship years and so far, I've never found even a man that knows. Anybody have a guess? His name was Jim Lee Howe. Jimmy Lee Howe. Now, Jimmy Lee Howe was one of the most successful coaches in history, and nobody knows his name. Now, you know why? The reason he was so successful was when he was winning those championships he had two assistant coaches one running his offense one running his defense one was a young coach named Tom Landry the other was a young coach named Vince Lombardi now if you're a head coach and you got Landry and Vince Lombardi as your two key guys you know what you do to be successful Here's a quote from Jimmy Lee Howe. He told a reporter one day, what do you attribute your success to? And he said, man, with Lombardi and Landry on my team, all I do is pump up the footballs. <laughs> I make sure they got air in them, and I talk to reporters like you, and we win championships because I trust them. I let them do what they're really good at. And, and, and yeah, ultimately it's my responsibility, but I utilize the strengths of my assistants. And I think that's a great image for what I see, God's role for wives in marriage. I need my wife because she's better at a lot of things than I am. I need to value her strengths and she needs to value my strengths and we work together as a team. But yes, in the scriptures, it's clear that the ultimate responsibility for the health of my family falls on me. It's not because I'm better than her. In this case, Jimmy Lee Howe was not better than Vince Lombardi or Tom Landry, and history would go on to prove that. As they now are probably the two greatest coaches in the history of the game, in my opinion. And it's that way in marriage. We need to be a team in marriage and value one another. But yet, for some reason, God said, You know, guys, I want you to step up and know that ultimately... The buck stops with you, not as a power trip. The buck stops with you in terms of saying, I want you to be responsible to care for and nurture and make sure your family is healthy and cared for and loved on. But I want you to do it like Jesus loves the church, with a sacrificial, loving leadership. Now that is different from our culture. But let me tell you something. If you want to meet the needs of a woman, you be that kind of a guy. And if a guy is smart, he realizes, man, this woman is a gift from God to me, and I need to really nurture her. And and on top of that, if I'm alone, I'm in trouble. This doesn't mean you can't be a single adult and thrive, by the way. But this passage is talking primarily about marriage. But let's see how much it values women. That's my... Point. So it's not passivity. Last but not least, it's not silence. It doesn't mean to be in silence as a woman. You know, as you follow the leadership of a man or or encourage his leadership as a husband, um, the same book of Ephesians, you gotta remember this was a letter written to the Ephesian church, right? It didn't have numbers, didn't have chapter divisions. It was a letter written by God through the Apostle Paul to this young church. And you've got to realize that less than probably three minutes earlier, as they're listening to this letter being read, three minutes earlier, the same God in the same letter of Ephesians said this, Husbands and wives, therefore, lay aside falsehood. This is chapter 4, verse 25 on the screen. Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth to each other because you... Speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, or when you're angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give the devil an opportunity to destroy your love. See, the same book tells you when you feel angry or frustrated with your husband or wife, you should speak up. That's not, you know, so submission doesn't mean suffer in silence. It means to respectfully love your husband even as you have to tell him the truth sometimes and say, you know, sweetheart, I love you to death, but man, I just need to be honest with you. It hurts me when you do this. And I don't want to be angry. I I want to I want us to be have a sweet relationship. So so it's not suffer in silence. So what does it mean? Here's the positive. I've already You should have already gotten this. But what does it mean? Submission simply means to willingly place yourself under the leadership of another. That's all it means. You do it as unto the Lord, trusting Him to love and care for you as your Savior. And at the root of it, it's an expression of trust. And I believe trust is the ultimate expression of loving respect for a man. That trust is the ultimate expression of, of loving respect for a man so how do we better love that husband or that i think the same principles will apply to a son if you're trying to raise a son and you want to understand his love language as a mom or dad if you're trying to be a good friend to a man here is the love language of men number 1 It says, see to it that you respect. It means to honor and esteem him, to give him respect. Chapter 5, verse 33. At the root of that is express trust. I really believe that the whole submission verse is given to challenge women to communicate trust to the heart of a man. Because when you say, you know, honey, we're in this together, we're going to be a team in this, I'm a full-on partner with you, you need me, I need you, we're going to serve each other, but at the end of the day, I trust you. And I want, to, I want you to know I trust you. And when you when you communicate that to the soul of a man, it feeds his soul to want to be what you want him to be. Communicates trust. 1 Peter 3, which we don't have time to go through and study, but if you do the daily encounters, you'll read it. 1 Peter 3 adds the phrase, uh, it talks about wives, uh, follow or submit and follow your husbands. uh, And and it even says, sometimes they will be disobedient to the word. So they're not perfect is what he saying. Even when they're not perfect, still love him and encourage him to step up and be a leader. And what that's communicating is acceptance. In fact, it says, if you want him to change, let him be one over, this is first Peter three two. Let him be one over without a word by the respectful behavior of his wife. Did you hear that? Again, he says, use your respectfulness to motivate his change. Because if you just try to nag him into changing, he will bristle and he will not respond. There's a lot of other great passages here two more that I want to mention is the Genesis 2 the helper says that when a man feels supported by his wife he feels loved now here's a here's a tip though on this so the next one is um, whenever whenever uh, whenever you love a man you support him but be careful not to go beyond supporting him into well, what I would call mothering him. Um, But, you know, let me pause for a second because I I jumped over, thank you very much for catching me on this, I jumped over this observation about accepting, when you communicate acceptance to a man. Let me go back on that for a minute. Remember last week I told you this survey of 24,000 men and women said that uh, that that, um, women, their number one complaint of women is that he doesn't listen Well, the same survey said the number one complaint by men is she gives too much unsolicited advice. Now, again, I didn't do the survey. I'm just reporting it. So, therefore, what do you learn from that, though? Here's what you learn. Is the answer, therefore, last week was men, we need to work harder at listening and not trying to fix it. Whatever she's sharing with you as a problem, she doesn't want you to fix it. She wants you to listen because you care about her. So... First, make sure you listen before you would ever try to fix it. Uh, Now, for women, it's a little different. Whenever you're frustrated with with a guy, you can share your frustration, but communicate trust and don't try to fix him. Number one mistake by guys is we try to fix it when our wife is frustrated. Number Number one mistake by women is they begin to try to fix us when we frustrate them. And if we feel that, you're a, that we are your project and that you are fixing us, it communicates a lack of trust and a lack of appreciation. So be careful going that direction. Thanks so much for catching that. Number four is give him support. And number five, give him admiration. Number four, give him support. Number five, give him admiration. Now the admiration one I get from Proverbs chapters 5 through 7 which is a passage, strangely enough, on how adulteresses seduce men. And it's written so that men would be aware of their seduction techniques and could watch out for them and avoid them. But when I studied it too, I thought, you know, I think there's value in flipping this the other direction. Uh, because what it does is, it. why, why do these seduction uh, techniques work on men? Well, they work on men because... Satan understands the heart of a man. and There are things like expressions of admiration. And it says her, her lips drip with honey. It doesn't mean she has sticky lips. It means that she gives expressions of sweet things and admiration to a man. Oh, I so admire you. Oh, I so want you. Expressions of desire. Oh, I have planned for you to come over. And I'm looking forward to being with you. And these are expressions right out of the Bible, but even as I read them, the guys in the room start getting turned on because they're things that guys want to hear, that they're wanted, they're desired, they're admired. And so here's the deal. I think it's wise for wives to study Proverbs 5 through 7 and observe these things and then use them on their husbands because that sexual relationship in marriage is important. And here's the deal, either you learn to admire, appreciate, and flirt with your man, or some other woman will. So you head that off at the pass. That's my tip. So how do we wrap up? We wrapped up last week with a top 10 list of things you can do to uh, better love uh, the, the woman in your life um today here's my top 10 for better loving the men in your life i've typed them out on the outline so you can study them on your own but i'd take them home and think about them praise him for his strengths thank him often express confidence in him give freedom to risk and fail see a lot of us guys we need to know that you will give us the freedom to fail on something if we want to go after it and still love us never say i told you so That's like poison to a man's soul. Be his partner, not his mother. Every man needs one mother in life and one wife, in my opinion, unless he's called to be single, and I recognize that's a unique calling. But for me, I know I need one mother, one wife. I do not need a second mother because then I don't feel trusted. Don't do suggestions or hints. I've never quite understood this. But I know one thing for sure. Um, There used to be an antenna when we were created by God that could pick up on the hints that women give. When we fell into sin in the garden, we landed on that antenna. I can't prove it from the Bible, but I can tell you it's true. Men don't have that antenna. We'd rather you just tell us. Tell us your needs, not your demands. That's the next one. Just be honest and say, you know, swear, I need this from you. That, that stimulates us as guys to want to step up and get on the white horse and charge in and be the guy and be the hero. We want to be your hero. But we don't get there by being demanded. We get it by honest sharing of needs. Don't nag us. Let God change us. We're a God-sized job. And last but not least, initiate romance because it really matters to us. It validates that you love us. Now we want to spend the next few minutes in a little different way in this service. And uh, we're gonna ask two couples to come up, and instead of closing in music, we thought we would do something very different. We're gonna have two couples come up. I got a young couple and I got a little bit older couple. Okay. So the buyers, welcome the buyers and the Carlsons. Would you welcome them to the stage? All right. We want to just pop a couple questions to you all, and let you, from real life, tell us a little bit about your experience as we reflect on what we've been studying the last two weeks. So, first of all, quickly, um, are there any examples of either surprises or challenges that you've come up against in this thing called marriage, or has it just been smooth as silk? Well, so uh, yeah, I haven't surprised
1: um, in a good way. Um, so some of you know my story. Um, Sandy's my second marriage. And um, at the time of my proposal, to in both my first and second marriage, um, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And, um, and that combined with uh, the first marriage, that didn't go as well as I had expected. Uh, I didn't have a lot of hope. And I really didn't have high expectations. You know, I love Sandy, but um, I really didn't know what to expect, I guess. And uh, as I got to know Sandy more, what I learned was... Um, God brought her into my life. She she is the full package and you know the real deal. And um I really didn't expect that and and you know her emotional IQ is is off the t- charts. Um I don't think I even knew knew what an emotional IQ was at that time and and most uh, of the guys are shaking their yeah. head on that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah and uh regrettably, I hate to say that she's she's much smarter than I am in some areas, which I, uh is is nice um, so I guess to say um she really makes me a much much better person and uh and that's a surprise to me. I really didn't okay. expect that great, yeah How
0: about the Carlsons any surprises
2: oh yeah uh, <laughs> well many the one i'll share uh was actually. What I was not expecting was for marriage to be uh to be so to reveal so many flaws within myself. So bef yeah, I've got some flaws. Before I got married, I, I literally remember thinking, you know, I've got uh you know, this sin and that one's pretty much under control. I'm doing good. Uh I think I'm set. So then getting married and realizing, wow. Like so marriage has been this it's been a mirror that has basically God has used Paige to reveal all of my sin. Wow. <laughs> and,
0: okay, I'm and, I'm getting a little bit nervous
2: hanging out with Paige now. Yeah. Uh, okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Paige, anything? And,
2: well, uh, I'll say too, in the same way though, marriage has been God's way of it reveals our sin, and it has been also God's gracious hand of distributing His grace into my life as well. So wow. it's been both. Great. That has surprised me yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, I,
3: I agree with that in, in my own life for my own life I think it, it is really surprising at how much comes up with one another I th- and I think that um, my family of origin growing up we didn't really deal with conflict or maybe I, just I didn't deal with conflict in my family and I didn't really know how to do that and it was surprising to me coming into marriage and seeing that oh conflict is like something that's constant. There's never a season that is without some kind of conflict, whether it's small or big, and and some conflict that catches you off guard, catches me off guard. So um, I was really challenged to have to deal with that. And, and I needed a lot of help from, I think from the spiritual mothers in my life um, and my own parents. But I think my church family here at Seacoast has really played a role in helping me be able to process and for the benefit of our relationship. And I know Matt said that, um, one of the things is that marriage, uh, has been a way of, that God has distributed grace to us. And I have, I have absolutely felt that because when I, one of my fears going into marriage or even a relationship for that matter was if they know what I know about me, how could they still love me? Mm -hmm. And, if Matt knew what I know about me, how could he still love me? And he has. If, and he's no, he's gotten to know all the all the ick, all the stuff that comes up, and it has it has truly surprised me, especially at certain wow. times that because I, I just I didn't think that was possible, and, and God has shown me that it is. Yeah.
0: So marriage actually becomes a part of our spiritual growth environments. It's a discipleship environment,
3: and it encourages encourages me even in outside relationships, marriage, friendships. I think that like God has has shown me a lot of these things in in uh, how it applies to friendships outside of marriage. Yeah, um, and it really has made a huge difference just okay. relationally in general. Okay. okay, Sandy. And for me,
4: um, one of the things that surprised me uh, is Greg is my We were both married before, so when I met Greg, one of the things I liked about him is that he was a grown-up, and he was not needy and self-sufficient. So I expected smooth sailing, and um, I thought he was going to come in. Uh, We had a 9- and a 12-year-old, I did, and I thought he would just make it so easy for us, and it would be all about us. It was going to be very hard for me, I knew, and I thought it was Greg's job to make it better for us. So it was a very kind of selfish time in my life, I don't like to admit. And probably a year into our marriage, he revealed, thankfully, that it was also very hard for him. And that was kind of a surprise for me because he kind of keeps everything hidden. And uh, it was really good for me to know that I also had to mm-hmm. care for him. <laughs> yeah. And he needed some attending to. And that was kind of a surprise. I, I just thought he had it all. taken care of
0: yeah he thought he was the one man on the planet that did not need a helper. okay sorry
4: yeah
0: yeah okay (laughs) so we've been studying this for two weeks now so can each of you as a couple maybe share where has not just these last two sermons but your understanding of god's perspective on marriage how has that come into helping you as you as you keep walking down this journey of marriage
2: well, I can think of a specific story uh, that has kind of become a microcosm of just a lot of stories in our relationship. But uh, I mean, there was probably a couple of years ago when Paige and I were preparing for one of our life groups and uh, we're, we're preparing and then she started telling me things that we should do. And I was like, listen, I got this under control. I'm, I mean, I'm leading the life group. So she's like, well, I, I think we should do this and this and I, and I, I used some tone with her, tone that's the, the <laughs> that's what always gets me into trouble yeah is the tone yeah she's like hypersensitive to it uh, but I remember her stopping and saying Matt you're making me feel really small and God used that moment to and I just it just clicked to me I'm like the reason why is because I need in this moment am trying to feel big and I was basically placing the burden of like my identity, my the, you know the meaning of my life, uh, significance. I was placing that all upon the shoulders of little Paige here, basically saying, "Make my life worth living." Mm. And if you're not giving me that respect and all that stuff, um, or you're not making me feel like big right now, then you're basically you're in trouble. And the problem is, is just putting that burden upon our spouse. I mean, they were never intended to bear the burden of our significance and our meaning. And so just, yeah, so learn. I mean, Ephesians has, it's reminding, uh, reminding each of us where that significance comes from and who we really are and so that we don't put that demand upon our spouse, which mm-hmm. crushes them.
0: Yeah, great, great illustration. Sandy?
4: Um, For me, one of the things this teaching has helped me to think about was that um, I have a specific way of needing to be fed, needing to be um, cared for, and we tend to love other people the way we want to be loved, and I need a lot, so Greg can't do enough to make me feel secure and safe because of past hurts and abandonments that I've had. So he he could smother me and it still I would wonder. So if I love Greg that way and I was, um, we're in trouble because that's not Greg's love language and I didn't know that about him and so we struggled for a while because we didn't know each other that way. And it's important, um, I was the wheel Um, how we have such different needs to find out what our spouses or significant people in our life what their needs are because Greg likes to be affirmed and he likes to be appreciated and I don't necessarily need those things but he does so I tend to give him what I need and that's not good for our marriage
3: so this was a good reaffirming of that for us good I agree for me too. And I think that more and more I realize how different we truly are and that we do need different things and that it's okay for me to tell Matt what I need. And I think that just even in the last few years and even just in the last few weeks, God has really challenged me to to have a voice, to have a voice and speak what I need, speak what I would like and present it to him. And then, you know, he can make the decision. And not hint at it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it ministers to him and it ministers to me. And to accept that that's okay, I think, has been a, a big challenge for me and a big uh, encouragement from yeah. this.
0: good, good. Greg, any wrap-up comment there? Oh, yeah, something I didn't share in the first service. Um,
1: yeah, knowing Sandy's love language is, is really important. And, um, you know, she's kind of has this blend of... Uh, she shared security, um, and yeah, I just think uh, there was a season in my life when I really didn't understand her love language, you know, she needs to be cared for, feels safe and secure. Well, <clears throat> I love to drive really fast on the freeway on-ramps and off-ramps, sure. and when she's in the car, uh, I'm not taking care of my precious cargo, and she feels unsafe, <laughs> right, and uh, when I get angry, um, and I do. It, it makes her feel unloved and unsafe. And the, and there was a season in my life when I um, drank too much alcohol, mm-hmm. and that would make her feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, well, you know, I'm a provider for the family. I work hard. You know, we have things. Um, and I thought, well, you don't really have the right to feel unsecure and unsafe because of those things, so get over it. <laughs> that didn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> and... And yeah. honestly, the Holy Spirit revealed to me, um, you know, I, we all have a lot of tools. Well, I, I do have uh, a gift of empathy, but it was kind of in the back room of my toolkit, you know, it was all cobwebs and dusty and, sure. and you know, the Holy Spirit um, brought that forward and reminded me about empathy and gave me some opportunities to sharpen my empathy skills and knowing how my actions make Sandy feel um, gave me a good reason to try to change my actions. And now I do still drive really fast on freeway on ramps and off ramps. Yes. But I do it when Sandy's not in the car. Yes. And um, when I get angry, um, my desire is to reconcile and ask for forgiveness rather than just sweep it under the carpet. And And right now, I'm I'm not uh, in this season drinking too much alcohol, yeah,
0: so yeah. so I feel like I'm trying to love her better right. that way. All right. Would you say thanks to our uh, couples here, huh? <laughs> Stand with me, and we'll close in prayer, huh? Father God, thank you for uh, real people with real lives, real relationships that are being changed by the power of christ by your spirit working within us and your word um, revealing to us truth so father may we uh, not be driven to live by our culture but let us be driven to make a new and better attractive culture that would draw people toward christ because they would see incredible friendships and marriages that are different because we're not trying to be true to the culture. We're trying to be true to Jesus. New king, new culture. Expanding that new kingdom. So we ask you to help us to do that this week as we go forth to better love one another. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, reminder, there's a Q&A time with Ryan and Sarah starting in about five minutes in the cafe behind me. All right. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you out in the plaza. See you there.